0: Well hello everybody and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Carro and I'm joined by Marlene Royal.
1: Hello Rebecca and hello to our Faster Master rowing radio audience (laughs) say that five times quickly so very nice to be here
0: it is I've had an extremely good rowing week this week uh, which has been nice because we've had fabulous weather I have uh, this sort of late summer um, early autumn here um, and we just had those really lovely calm mornings and just glorious pinky sunrises
1: nice we have nice warm we're, we're at 15 degrees centigrade so we're pretty warm you and I, we well, um, might have the same temperature, but our snow is melting fast. So once it starts melting, then I want the lake to melt really fast. So,
0: <laughs> so the snow goes first and then, then the lake follows. The
1: lake can yeah. go very quickly. So we're fingers crossed.
0: Now, if you're listening live, do use the comments below the live stream. If you have anything to ask or tell us or uh, maybe where you are and where um what you've been up to this week and this week's show is sponsored by the rowing concierge if you want 15 minutes just to ask your personal rowing question and to get an answer from someone who is somewhat more experienced than yourself this is the place to come to you go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash concierge and you'll see a calendar and you can book a time uh, with us in the concierge or via the concierge, we have recently had a couple of really nice bits of feedback. We had a customer who is an ergrower heading into a future competition. And what they told us was, I got to the limit of my skill at designing sessions, workouts, and how to improve. And so We had a conversation with them about where they needed to take their rowing in order to achieve a goal that's in 2023. And the other one is a customer who started on our monthly program back in January, January the 9th. And they told us that they had diligently done everything that we'd asked. They'd read every article. They'd watched every video. They tried to do every workout to the best of their ability. And they said, you know, people around the club were kind of noticed that that I was working hard. And the club had a little race this past weekend during which they handicapped the results so that, you know, single sculls could race against eights and quads and so on. And this person won. And she said, everyone was blown away because (laughs) there was a well-established crew of people who have won national titles. Who got beaten by them. And she said, we it it people really noticed. And that was just in probably eight weeks training, that amount of change had happened. But you know, credit to a really diligent athlete who worked really, really hard and high fives from us. And the photo they shared of us, the smile was ear to ear with this medal, our stripy ribbon.
1: That's, fan- that's fantastic. You know, and that that shows that paying attention being aware of what you're doing maybe being sharper about how you change your stroke rates or working on part of your race you know it it all these small things make a difference to build your confidence when it comes to race day so you know that that's you know that's incredible progress in eight in eight weeks but you know obviously she was she was on it
0: totally on it I just want to share the photograph that I have and this is at the Heineken Regatta in Amsterdam and the photo came from um, Ingrid Terwurst and what she said was we are wearing blue and yellow in solidarity with Ukraine and the full photo is actually on Masters Rowing International uh, Facebook group if anybody wants to go and have a little look. Now, this past week, this is the part of the show where we talk about the work we're doing to advocate more generally for Masters rowing. What have you been up to?
1: Well, actually, the beginning of the week has been fairly fairly busy. Um, here at Faster Masters, we had the Aging Well webinar on Tuesday. And that was quite interesting with um, Claire Delmar and Hugh Dunston and Rebecca and myself Um Really, I, I just you know the the product is up on our website. It's it's recorded, so if somebody would like to listen to it again, they they can access that. But that that was a very very interesting discussion, and um, you know I encourage people to listen to that. So we, that was you know what we were focusing on at the beginning of the week, and um, one of my own little personal master's projects, um, being a great advocate for masters rowing and making sure that I pay attention and, um, take care of our masters at, at my rowing club. You know, I spent some time this week contacting all the people who do regular coaching sessions and getting their feedback about where they want to take their rowing this season. You know, what's, what's most important to you? What's the next step? What types of coaching sessions would you like? What are you interested in? Because, you know, each for those of you who organize programs, you know, each year, your population of masters is going to be a little bit different. And Mm. if you had a number of new people who did learn to row or started the previous season, their goals this year are going to be a little bit different. And maybe your third year people are now going to start, you know, what came out of this was, oh, well, we'd like to get some actual training sessions in now we want to work on technique, but we're, you know, there's some people started, starting to be interested in racing, because, you know, again, my club is very, very new. Um, So, you know, you can see how year to year how that develops. But I think it's a good thing for program coordinators to ask one Mm -hmm. or two pointed questions and then say, and do you have other suggestions? Because that's where you'll get some of your best, best ideas. And, you know, you try to find a balance of how you can meet the needs of your masters at your club.
0: Brilliant. I love that. And uh, I hope you're getting some really good feedback from the people, you know, who, 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 who want to be in your program this year.
1: I think the big thing was that people very much appreciated that they were being asked. That was, that was something that was very, very obvious that Oh, you're, 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 you're so I'm thank you so much for asking even me, you know, like someone who, (laughs) and I was like, what do you mean, you know, you were one of the most regular people coming to the coaching session. So um, I, I think just the fact, you know, I think it's good that people know that you care and you want to know about your opinion, you may not be able to do everything for everybody, but to aim for a good balance.
0: That's really important. And I had an article published this week in the British Rowing membership area. So if you are um, in the UK and you have access to plus.britishrowing.org, you can find it. It's on goals and measuring training for masters. um, And they have very kindly removed the gate so that um, non-members can read it um, at the moment. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, um, please feel free. So, we have, uh, as usual, one of our very special regular guests, Jess DiCarlo. Welcome to uh, the Faster Masters Rowing Radio again.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
0: Jess is our correspondent who talks about Book of the Month, and she's been doing some reading.
2: Yep. Um, So, this being uh, Women's History Month in the U.S., um, I picked and I have to show it on my phone. It's My Olympic Life by Anita DeFrance. So I don't have a, but I think I might get one of those too. But anyway, um, uh, it was written in 2017, so pretty recent book. Um, She was the um, captain of the first U.S. women's rowing team in 1976 in Montreal. Um, and she was in the eight. I forget how many events there were, but um, uh, a handful of them. I'm sure Marlene and Rebecca might know, but um, uh, she, they won the bronze medal. Um, and I couldn't remember until I read that, uh, they did win a medal. And so I thought I'd read a little bit from that. Um, uh, so the first that first race on July 18, 1976 at the Olympic Games in Montreal did not turn out as we had hoped. Um, but the eight of us, plus our coxswain, who are racing together for the first, which I can't even believe, um, had worked hard to win a seat in the boat in, on the first U.S. women's Olympic rowing team. Somehow we pulled together and recovered in the next two races to win the bronze medal. Um, and she went on to say that this reality that people of every shape and color and both sexes could live and work together peacefully no longer just a dream i began to believe that if these ideals could work for four weeks then perhaps uh they could make them work forever and today in 1976 i have been at the center of the olympic movement and that kind of sets the tone for the whole book I mean, she talked about the rowing um, a little bit. You know, the selection process, her introduction to the sport um, in college, um, Connecticut College, I believe. Um, she was athletic. And her family were um, activists. Um, her grandfather even was an activist in the late eighteen or her great grandfather, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds um but she has gone on to become a member of the international olympic committee uh, which is very prestigious and she was the first african-american member um she was elected in 1986 and was one of the youngest ever elected at 34 years old um so you know just looking back reading her um it was clear that she had that desire to stand up that makes sure to make sure that everybody's voice was heard and it was just it was so great to read it i mean there's a lot in there about the Olymp- international olympic committee the IOC, and um you know i learned a lot about international rowing and just everything she's done to make sure that we receive women especially receive parity um and in 2016 in rio that was actually the first olympics I believe the first Olympic games where women's rowing was equal, um, had equal events to men's rowing events.
0: That's correct.
2: And I can't believe it took that long, but there we are. And fighting behind the scenes for, for that and for um, other similar things. And it's just, I'm really glad I read it. Um, Clearly an inspiration. Yeah. Very much, and I'm very grateful to her. There were a lot of other women.
0: There were six women's events at the Montreal Olympics: single, double, and quad, coxless pair, coxed four and eight. And Mm -hmm. there were men had single, double, quad, coxless pair, coxed four, coxless four, coxed four and eight. So a couple more events.
1: And in, in 1980, the, the year with the with the boycott, um, you know, Anita made the eight in 1980, and Holly Hatton was the coxswain. And Holly Hatton was my coach at Boston University, and um, the two of them were were the leaders in the rowing group, really, to working working to try to overcome the boycott so that they they could race at, at the Moscow Olympics. Um, and Anita may have been a lawyer already at that point, at that she point was. in time, but her and Holly, um, they, they tried to do everything to get ind- individual permission so that they could go because, for example, in Britain, even though officially Britain boycotted the, the 1980 Olympics, athletes were allowed to self-fund and go compete. That's why Sebastian Coe was able to run in, in the Moscow mm-hmm. Olympics. Um, Martin but Ross, in,
2: too. Hmm.
1: Hmm. But in in the U.S. It, that that didn't happen. But you know, Anita was one of those. You know, Anita and Holly were kind of the driving activists of that yeah. movement, and they really, really tried to to overcome that boycott so that they could the, the team could go race self funded. But it just didn't happen.
2: They did everything, and I wanted to talk about it badly, but I mean, just I couldn't talk about everything. But the, she told the story of that in great detail. And it was so inspiring. Um, And, you know, she didn't say that she's glad it happened, of course, but she learned a lot from that. And just you could see why she's doing she's still doing those sorts of things. And she was the one to speak, you know, or one of the ones to speak up. And it just there was a part where she testified, I believe, or or gave up tv interviews about it because she was one of the vocal uh supporter or organizers of the effort to still go and i mean it was just stunning what she did
0: well thank you jess that's absolutely great and uh, i uh if anyone's interested in rowing books there is a blog post on faster masters called best rowing books Um, and you can find it quite easily just search for rowing books on our website and they've got all sorts of inspirational books in there now our big topic for this week is the start of a series of um, about the stroke cycle we thought we would work our way around the whole stroke cycle uh, over time it's going to take us some time and We're going to kick off by talking about two really important things, balance and stability. And Marlene, I'd like you to start by explaining what do you mean and what is the difference between those two things?
1: In my rowing world, no, I'm kidding. Um, Balance and stability. This is this is how I look at balance and and stability. I view balance as something relatively narrow, and I view stability as a wider base of support. So, in terms of the boat, balance. I think of balance as with within the hull. Relatively narrow. For example, you're sitting on the seat. You know, might be your weight on the seat. You're sitting on the seat. Your pressure on your feet. Um, you're working in this. A narrow range. When we when we bring this out to stability, I think of stability of the whole boat and the whole system. So when I think of stability, I think more about the boat orlock to orlock, and keeping you know is your boat stable in terms of when you take your blades out of the water? Are you able to keep your rigor and your boat relatively level and and stable? But stability also implies where your body weight is to some degree so making sure that you're keeping the connection to your orlock, and you're keeping the the connection of your body weight and your core stability connecting yourself to the the whole system of the boat so i so i would view um stability from a more holistic point of view of the boat the body and and the blades working together.
0: I love that. And one of the things as a coach, you, you develop an eye for looking at athletes. You look at how people row. And I was remarking to someone on the bank the other day, as somebody else rowed past, that although their boat was balanced, they did not have stability. And the way I could tell that was particularly when the oars are out of the water they were not handling the oars in a manner that led me to believe that the downward pressure on the handle that they had put was sufficient to maintain the integrity of the whole system. And you can actually see that. And it's sometimes easier to see in beginners. They'll often run their blades along the surface of the water or be a little bit conservative when the oars are out of the water, because they are uncertain about their ability to hold the boat level. And of course they want the boat to be level. And you can see there's a little circle of, of, of thought and action and reaction that sits around
1: there. One very easy way also, if you're looking, if you're looking at someone who, who you see, oh, they're having trouble with their balance. They don't look that stability, that looks stable. Oftentimes if you, if you video and you come up on someone's stern and you're looking at them, over the stern towards them, and you look at the release. You will almost always see their collar moving away from the oarlock, and oh. the fact that they're that weight, you know, we'll see that the fact that that collar at the release pulls away from the oarlock a little bit means that you're pulling your weight off that side of the that side of the boat. If the, if you don't have that collar against the oarlock. You know your weight is coming off that side, and you're going to tend to you're going to fall to the other other to the other side. So you know making sure that you stay, I call it staying on the path of the handle or stay on your arcs. So you know as as you're swinging around and sweep rowing, we talk a lot about working around the rigor, and staying on that pivot. You have to maintain that pivot as you approach the release because if you start to pull, like like on an erg. Your collar is going to come away from the boat. Yeah. It's going to come away from the oarlock, and 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 you'll often see that reflected in a lack of lack of stability when that happens because the weight's unequal on both sides of the rigger.
0: One of the things that I enjoy we have a we have to steer around a few corners uh, where I row, and I enjoy teaching people how little you often need to do to keep the boat balanced while steering it's it's quite hard to do and in sculling it can be done just with your thumbs on the end of the blade you just put a tiny bit of lateral pressure on both sides or if it's a particularly tight corner you might just say just put more pressure on one side than the other and you can bring the boat back to balance very very easily and in sweep it's the same idea your inside hand pushes sideways to keep the collar against the oarlock, and it has a very similar
1: effect. And and if somebody's transitioning to the water from winter training on the ERG right now, I think one of the best things you can do when you, if you get into your single or you get into a, a, a four or an eight, doesn't matter what the boat class is. If you all sit with your blade at the release, with your, with your blades squared in the water at the finish position and Simply practice what Rebecca just said, but you know you can think of it from the tip of the handle. You can think of it from pressing a little bit from your lat. but if you just press against the oarlock on one side without changing your handles, your your boat is your boat's going to tip to one side or the other. So keeping that equal pressure on both sides is a, is a big factor to to keep your boat stable. And you know, subtle, very subtle motions can can help you keep the boat level. And and this is particularly important on the recovery when your blades are out of the water and your your blades are out of the water two thirds of the stroke cycle. So what happens when your blades are out of the water is quite important.
0: Beyond quite important, personally. <laughs> yes. I get very frustrated when the boat's not balanced.
1: Well, and, in, and and if you're going to learn how to row in rough water, you need that balance and stability so that if you need to carry your oars a little bit higher off the water, you're, you're able to do that. So, you know, I call it watching your weight, you know, watching your weight in the boat makes a big difference, but you know, little subtle changes against the oar lock make, make a big, make a big difference in and, you know, keeping you connected to the boat as well.
0: If you're interested in rowing in rough water, we have a podcast and an article about that on the blog, just go search for it let's talk stability now because one of the things that a skillful athlete can do in a rowing boat is they can they can turn tricks they can they can do all sorts of fun things and the reason they can do fun things like pulling the oars into the finish and then tapping down and away and then pulling them back into the finish and then we like a a double finish and doing squaring twice on the recovery or rowing square blades or rowing one blade square and the other feather, you know? So these are all fun things to do, usually with a purpose in mind, not simply for showing off. But once you have stability in the whole boat system, you can do all sorts of things with your oars. So Marlene, talk us through the principles of how to acquire the skill of
1: stability. I think first you have to practice drills, absolutely. And one of my go-to favorite fundamental drills is this, is a stability drill that you do in place. Um, I'll describe it in a single, but you can also do this in a pair, in a four, in an eight, a quad. It doesn't matter. But um, basically, if you, if you start at your finished position with the blade squared in the water, initially start to practice just a release. And, and we just mean, you know, tapping, tapping down. So the bottom edge of the blade comes out and then goes back down in the, in the water. Then you go to uh, release and feather and then release feather hands away. Now, this sounds very simple. However, the the goal is to execute these movements, these new patterns without the boat tipping from side to side. So you know, you need to be able to remain stable when you're making that transition from the water to the release. Now the blades are out of the water. So you've got two different support systems here. When, when the blades are in the water, they're supporting, the blades are supporting your body weight to a large degree. Now you have to transition that the blades are no longer supporting your body weight. And where do you want your body weight to go? On the seat, or you want to try to distribute some of that on the rigor and stay light on the seat. So, so first just patterning, being, you know, being able to go release feather arms away when you can go release feather arms away, body away, and then back down in, you haven't even taken a stroke yet without the boat tipping, you have developed the pattern and the skill, and that is going to integrate right into your, rowing and you will be able to start rowing with your blades off the water in rough water because you've developed that pattern for, for transitioning from the water to the release and um, it's a very difficult drill in a racing single and sometimes when people start this at the beginning of the season I said okay well you know this will take you all season and they think I'm joking and you know but but the important thing is each stage start each stage every little bit that that gets better goes right into your stroke so you benefit from that drill Im- immediately but you know you have to commit to those patterns you have to commit to keeping learning how to keep the boat stable when you are taking the oars out of the water and not losing that transition because that's where most people will tend to go off balance will either be right when they take the oars out of the water Or when, um, you know, they they take the oars out of the water and then they they let the blade fall back down to the water. So once you take the blade out of the water, you have to keep it out of the water. So that's one that's one drill. There, There are other drills, but that's one that you could do even in cold water, not going very far from your dock.
0: I think the key concept behind that drill and everything we've talked about today about balance and stability is understanding what the weight in the hand feels like when the oars are out of the water. So when the ball oars are in the water, you're powering through your feet and you should be feeling your feet and your hands are just hooks. They're not doing much in terms of the handle. But when the oars are out of the water, the concept of that downward pressure in the palm of your hand, you can see where all my little calluses are here. So it's not up here in your fingers so much. It's down at the base of your fingers where they join into the palm of your hand and being able to have downward pressure on the hand so that you can actually feel the control of the height of the handle and the actual mass, the weight of the blade is entirely controlled. Marlene's demonstrating it beautifully.
1: So here, this is where Rebecca was showing at the the base of your fingers here. If you've got some weight of the hands here, you you can really relax your fingers quite a bit and, and move the handle and keep some weight over the handle so that you can keep the blades off the water. And the key is when you take the blades out, maintain the weight over the hands so that the blade stays off the water.
0: Absolutely. And it's very hard to teach because the athlete has to have enough confidence to try it. Um, And one way of helping people to learn what the feel of it means is another drill that is called open palm sculling. And you do it like this. You take, you get to the finish, you take the oars out of the water, you feather. And then as you're rolling up the slide, you extend your fingers and your thumb so that the oar handle is just sitting very sweetly, simply underneath your hand. And it just sits there. And then you roll your fingers back when it comes time to square the blade and take the next stroke. And while you have your open palm, your your your, your hands are flat you need to feel a small amount of downward pressure otherwise your oars will drop down and the blades will run along the surface of the water so it's if you don't have enough room to square as in you have to push down to square because you haven't got enough room or else you touch the water that's your test
1: absolutely i think that is one of my favorite all-time drills and i think if i were going to pick a drill that often helps the light bulb go off for people it's Open fingers drill, and um, what what Rebecca said about keeping enough weight over the handles is really important. So my question would be, how do you know you have enough weight over the handle? What I what I use as a reference point is, I will ask our rowers, you know, uh, put weight over the handle when you feel like up. You just set up a little bit taller, then you know you've got enough weight in the handle. So that is one little secret industry trick to setting your posture in the boat. So as your hands come away and you put that little bit of weight over the handle, you're going to feel your sternum comes up. So you sit tall in the boat. That's your signal that you've got enough weight over the handle. If you don't have enough weight over the handle, you're probably going to be kind of slumping down on your butt in the seat and you want to think about being up and over the handles just like what Rebecca was talking about. But this is something if if our listeners are sitting at a table right now put your hands on the tabletop just your with your hands flat put your hands on the tabletop and now just press down slightly and you'll feel like up you sit up a little bit taller you don't have to put press down that much but just just press down a little bit it's gonna raise your sternum it engages your lats it raises your sternum so that's your key to set your posture. So those two things work work very, very well together. If you don't feel that, you probably don't have enough weight over your hands.
0: And to be clear, the weight in your hand has got nothing to do with how high the oar is above the water. This is a different feeling. I also like you to have your oars higher above the water than Marlene coaches, uh, but this is quite different. So I hope everybody is now sitting at their tables. And- it's, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> but it's a, but it, if you don't have that feeling, you can't carry your blades high enough, you know, and you need to you need to get that height off the water. By the time your your seat starts moving, by the time you're moving on your slide, you've got to have that height off the water. Otherwise, you won't have the room to, to square up. And that that's that's another discussion for us on another day. But
0: which is why it's called the Stroke Cycle. And we're going to be cycling our way through the whole blooming lot of it. (laughs) So that brings us quietly to the end of our podcast. If you have enjoyed what we've talked about today, would you consider making a small regular donation? If you go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast, donations start from $1 a month. And we are extremely grateful to everybody who supports us in this way and we have some little gifts we have given in the past and some new ones that we'll be giving in the future secrets only between us and the people who are kind enough to support the podcast and to say that they are finding um, that there are really really useful things that they're learning as a result of marlene and me um, sharing what we know about rome must no don't leave We'll be back next week. Actually, I lie. Next week, Marlene is hosting a solo show. So there are some surprises. Come on. And we'll have to get Mustang
1: back on. He did a great, he's a phenomenal chef and avid rowing competitor. And um, he knows how to whip up some really good stuff in the kitchen.
0: There's a promise for the future. And thank you to Jessica Colo and her lovely, of the month review which I shall enjoy re- reading that myself because it is it isn't one that I already have on my personal rowing bookshelf so thank you to you Jess for joining us and Jess will be joining us next month as well this has been faster masters rowing radio the show where everything is all about masters athletes who want fun fitness and confidence in their rowing you can become a student of the sport by buying the Faster Masters Rowing Program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye,
1: everyone. Bye.